Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the editor-in-chief of Modern Retail. This week, we have Casper Capetti. He's the co-founder of On, which is an athletic wear brand, probably best known for their running shoes. But I know you guys have many more products, and I want to get into all of that. Um, but first, there's something really great about On for me as a journalist that it didn't take too much digging is that you're a public company. And so I can give some numbers just to give some sense of what you guys are up to. So your revenue in the second quarter, which was released, I think a few days ago, was $307.4 million. But this is what I really love is that DTC represented 38% of your business for a growing company, which is pretty wild. I want to talk about all this, how you've been able to sort of manage direct-to-consumer wholesale. And then you have some really cool programs, like a fully recyclable um, subscription program for one of your shoes. I want to get into all of that. But Casper, thank you so much for joining me. How are you doing? (laughs) I'm great. Thank you, Kale, for having me. Absolutely. So first, tell me about yourself. Who are you? How did you get into the the running space? (laughs) I'm a, I'm a Swiss-born and raised mountain boy <laughs> that was always fascinated by by sports and being active, and and I get to to live my dream um, by by uh, being in the sports business, which I never actually intended. Um, I thought that was going to be like a boring businessman, um, and uh, uh, yeah, um, we've been on the ride of our lifetime. Uh, we founded on uh, almost thirteen years ago. Um, and it's become a global um, uh, a phenomenon with fans all over the world. And uh, every time I, I, I leave Switzerland, which is very often because it's a small country, I'm, I'm just amazed by the positive feedback that, that we get. Yeah. So can you can you give me the Genesis story of On? So it was 2010. Is that correct when you guys launched? That's correct. Yeah. So. You know, I mean, you know, a brand always has like different uh, points points of origin, but. Um, kind of the, the main story here is um, my co-founder Olivier was one of the best triathletes of his of his uh, generation. He was be, uh, competing with Mark Allen and Dave Scott for the Hawaii Ironman World Championships, um, and he got injured. Um, he was always the best runner in the field of triathlon. He could have probably made a career as as a runner on the road as well, um, and went from being the best runner to the uh, not being able to run at all and. Uh, he basically went to his then sponsor, um, which is the company with the swoosh, and asked for <laughs> a, a product that would allow him to go fast, but not not hurt his body so much. At the time, racing shoes were basically very minimal, um, and people trained in, in very heavy, clunky uh, shoes. And he wanted to bring those two together, and they didn't really have an answer for him. and And so he started venturing and and uh, and trying things on his own. And he hooked up with a. Swiss-based engineer that um, uh, came up with a, a new cushioning solution. And the cushioning solution that he built tried not to absorb just vertical impact like any any brand does, but also horizontal. Because when you run, you basically slide into your step and you pull back. You do that all the time. So you have a lot of shearing force. And that is what um, causes a lot of the injuries. And you you know that from other sports, like tennis, they invent the clay court so you can slide into your step or uh, definitely on basketball, they, they wish they had that. Um, uh, some of the best players, they constantly have to ice their knees and joints just because of these, these cheering forces. And, and so he invented a system that, 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 uh, that, that does that. And it helped Olivier became uh, overcome his injuries, but then many, many other runners, um, uh, tried it and mostly broken runners that uh, had to end their career because of an injury. And all of a sudden they were back, they were winning racing races, they were winning world championships. 
and that's how we got started. And I, my connection to Olivier was that um, he paid, he actually paid for my university years. When I was wow. was uh, doing my MBA, um, he asked me to be his agent. Um, I had very little experience uh, of anything at the time, but I was a journalist, um, and he felt that you know that would be a good match, and I would be eternally grateful uh, to him to that. And I had a, a very di- different career uh, path. I'm a, I'm a PhD econom- economist, so I went to McKinsey and Company and went down that route. And about ten years later, um, Olivier called me and said, "Hey, uh, I have a, a running shoe that I." co-invented, can you help uh, me bring it to market? And I said, absolutely not. Um, <laughs> you're crazy. Um, why, you know, yes, the, you, 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 still, you don't stand a chance against the, the Nikes and Asics and Adidas of this world. And um, Nonetheless, um, I also tried the shoes and I was always more into fun sports. So I was a snowboarder. Um, on the Swiss Junior National Team, um, I was a downhill mountain biker. I played beach volleyball, so you know, I, you know, I wasn't running for me was a necessity for training, but I hated it. And I also had a pretty severe pain issues from an IT band, um, a problem that I had at the time. And so, with this new technology, I could run without pain, and it was actually fun. And that's when I really got thinking. I was like, well, there's there's something here, and and we we. Yeah, we joined forces. I invited another friend, so we're three founders originally, David. And we ventured out, and you know, the Switzerland's such a small home market. We didn't have you know any other choice than, than going international on day one. And so, you know, we would just uh, would just take a plane and, and fly to New York and, and drive into Manhattan with one sample in my backpack and, and go see retailers. That's how everything started. So what with the was there an initial launch strategy? Was it that you were going for these competitive runners who were hurt? Or sort of how did you see did did you did you have a conceptualization for how you were going to approach the market in 2010-2011? Absolutely. I mean, we were we were definitely naive and we didn't know a lot, but we 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 understood a couple of things. And one of you know, maybe maybe two things to point out. If you're based in Switzerland and you have a patented technology. The only strategy that's available to you is really a premium strategy. Uh, you'd be uh, very unwise not to not to do that. So we said, hey, um, we looked at at brands like like Asics at the time, and they were the market leader. But you know, they were selling hundred eighty dollar running shoes, but they were also selling forty dollar shoes at like the, you know the worst retailers that you can even imagine. So they were they were diluting their own uh, premium brand image, and we felt, hey. There must be quite a number of runners out there that really care about what they run in. And why not just go exclusively after them? Um, and so we basically said, look, we want to be the most expensive product on the market. So that was one, <laughs> one uh, move, and uh, it, it, it turned out to, to be a good move. And the other one was that um, we, we had a choice of, of you know, going D2C only. That was the time a lot of D2C brands started. But we felt we needed the validation, not just of the best runners, but also of the specialty shops. You know, that's where brands are made. That's where the community lives. Um, and, you know, so a lot of these, these store owners there are former professional runners, college runners, um, and they really organize running and running events in their community. And, and it's a great, great bunch. And we wanted to connect with them. Similar like you would in skateboarding, you would you work with a local skate shop. And the good news is, especially in the U.S., there are many of them. There are over a thousand run specialty stores. So 
we wanted to 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 win them over, but that was a lot harder than we thought. These guys are very experienced, some would say a little bit stubborn and opinionated uh, uh, folks. Um, and the convincing uh, wasn't easy. And, you know, in the beginning, we would send them some samples to try and, and they would say, uh, oh, thanks for the samples. And then, you know, they, they just would never try them. And like a month later, they would still have not running them. And so we changed the game and we said, we're just, we're not going to send out any samples. We're just going to go run with these people. And so for a while, especially Olivia and myself, we flew around the world um, just just to go run with with store owners and their staff. And running is, you know, as, I don't know whether you run, Kale, but running is a tough sport. It's a very honest sport. You cannot fake running, you know, in, in, in soccer, you know, in Europe, it's very prevalent. You can kind of lean around in front of the goal and, you know, might <laughs> score a, a lucky shot. Um, even in basketball, you might get lucky. In, in running, that doesn't happen. And so, you know, about an hour into a run, you know whether this, these shoes are working for you or not. And, and a lot of people, you know, would say, hey, look, my legs feel fresher. We we had a, a good pace, actually, you know, hardly run this route so fast. We we, we were talking. I didn't know, realize how fast time passed. All these things. And typically after, you know, our first run, we would, we would leave that city, that retailer, with a 12-pair order. Um, and that's how we got started. Did you have a, a kind of like wish list of like, you know, these are the, the retailers, these are the boutiques we should hit. How did you sort of organize that? And was it just sort of in the, this is the most influential retailer in the running world? I'm, I'm not a runner um, because it, it, it has hurt my body in the past. So I don't know exactly the world of boutique running retailers, but how did you, how did you think about that? No, absolutely. You know, like like in fashion, like in every in every field, you have the influencers and the opinion leaders, and 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 we we identified those. And you know, there's this myth and aura around them, and everybody's like, "Well, you know, you have to be really careful. This is a very tough guy, and um, you know, they you know, they will never take you." And uh, you know, maybe maybe just through through our authenticity and and the fact that we just wanted to go on a run with them and not really sell them. Um, we connected on, on a personal level and, and uh, a lot of these retailers um, then quickly started uh, with on and, and they have become friends um, over over the years. Um, and that's another thing, you know, it's, this is not just a business, it's, it's, it's a life and a lifestyle. And, and uh, we're eternally grateful for all these friendships that we forged uh, all, all across the globe. Uh, is your how would you describe your wholesale strategy today? Are, would you th- would you say you're very picky? I imagine it's much easier to get you know to, for people to want to sell your shoes. And given that a, a pretty sizable chunk of your sales come online from from your from your DTC site, how like are, pretty much if someone if a random retailer comes up to you and says we want to sell your shoes, would you say yes or would they have to hit a few benchmarks for for it to work? We would say no. I mean, Kayla, we say no nine out of ten times. Um, and, you know, we were also saying no at the time when we didn't necessarily have all the good retailers that we wanted. You know, so this, you know, when you when you have a strategy and it's a premium strategy, it's a very simple strategy. You have to be, you have to always keep supply below demand. Nothing builds desirability like scarcity, right? Um, and you have to be 100% buttoned up. Um, and 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 prepared to to walk away from things that could be good for business in the short term, but would hurt brand long term. Um, and to do that, as you're starting up, and you know your costs exceed your revenues, and maybe you're even change, chasing investment, um, 
took a lot of discipline. Um, you know, but this was, we're, we're known for discipline, right? And, uh, <laughs> um, uh, you know, like uh, there were probably, you know, times early on when, when we felt we were doing the right thing. Like we would walk, walk away from, for example, there was a period when um, a very well-known specialty group in the in the UK called the Sweatshop, um, a very um, a funny name from a US perspective, but yes. called, they called the Sweatshop. They invented the, the London Marathon. Um, uh, and we, we had worked so hard to go get in there. Uh, um, and just after we launched with them, they got taken over by a, a, a large retail group that, that heavily discounts. And we were like, well, we don't want to have anything to do with them. And we pulled all our inventory from, from that store. And we thought everybody else, all the other brands would do the same, but none of them did. And then we were like, well, then, you know, there's going to be repercussions and we're going to get rewarded by the other retailers. And then they, that didn't happen. And, you know, question a little bit our strategy. But sure enough, about 18 to 24 months later, you know, everything came full circle and our brand started to really, really take off in the UK. And, and we got a lot of retailer love. And you know, when a retailer decides to 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 work with you and, and get after you, it can really change. You know, so these twelve pair orders um, that we got in the beginning, you know, they turned into two thousand pair orders and twenty thousand pair orders and two hundred thousand pair orders, um, and and that's when when uh, when we felt uh, validated and, and that we were on the right track. And you know, just to your question, D to C versus wholesale, um, we don't look at this as as opposites. We feel they're very very complementary and additive to each other. And what we see is that when we open a store, or I mean, now we have stores pretty much in every in every major town, but at the time when we had uh, started working with a retailer, our online sales would go up in that area. Um, and then we started maybe doing um, online advertising in a place like Houston, and the store sales would go up, you know, and, and um, and and so this this is this has been great. And you know, with a, with a premium brand, one of the things that we always uh, focused on was that to sh- that we would show up differently at a retail. So we didn't want to just have a space on the shelf with all the other shoes. But can we have a shopping shop experience? Can we um, take over part of their store? And and surprisingly, they let us do this. And you know, we we came in. Kind of, you know, thinking, well, they would charge us for it, but no, they would, you know, if we came with with something nice, they felt like it upgraded their store. And before we knew it, we, you know, we had, I think today we have out of eight thousand five hundred stores or so that carry on. We have almost two thousand shopping shops. Wow! And they don't char- none none of them charge you for it. Zero. <laughs> that's a that's a great little strategy you got there. I'm sure yeah. other brands would like to do that. Um, what what how did that shop and shop come about? Was was it just sort of an organic thing with the first one where you're like, we we want a nice end cap? How did you do that? Yeah. So it all started with what we call the magic display. And the, the thinking beyond, behind that was, remember when um, maybe Oakley got started like 25 years ago, they had these mm-hmm. black walls in, in the stores um, and they were locked with a key. And, you know, obviously so kids, kids like me uh, wouldn't steal them, but... Um, <laughs> The you know when when I was a you know a young snowboarder and mountain biker, you know like Oakley was the thing, and then I almost didn't dare to ask for the key. You know they were expensive, but it was basically they were there was Oakley and they were all, was all the rest. And we were like, well, you know, and often, you know, great marketing is is, is a transfer. Like in music, you know, there's something that already exists, and you, you you transfer it into another field. And 
And we were like, what, what is our Oakley vault? And, and we came up with a display that, you know, our, our on footwear has these clouds. It's very expressive outsoles. And we had a, we came up with a display that mirrored, you know, we put two shoes on top of each other and you had a mirror effect. And, you know, the technology stood out, but a lot of people like, actually thought it was a mirror. And it was like a trompe the way that we say in French, you know, like a, like a mirage. Um, and, and so that's how it started. And we just took it further and further and further. And we went, went on the wall and we realized all these stores had the same slat wall system where they can just easily slide in these shoe, sell, shoe shelves. But they all looked terribly ugly. And we just um, came up with this um, black cover. Um, and we would just cover part of their regular slat wall. It would cost us a couple hundred bucks. And boom, we had an on-shopping shop. Wow. Was there a specific either partnership you know, you know, partnership with an athlete or a retailer partnership that suddenly made you realize, oh, you know, things are things are going in the right direction. This is this is exactly what I wanted. Was there was there one that really stood out? Yeah, I mean, there there, there are a couple ones. Obviously, you know, at some point we'll, we'll need to talk about uh, our friend Roger, yeah, um, Roger Federer. But um, um, earlier on, you know, I think this was maybe twenty twelve. Um, now we Olivier, as you know, as he had been a, a world class triathlete. Obviously, that group gravitated to on first, and you know the good thing is in 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 triathlon running is for most athletes the hardest bit because when you're a strong cyclist, that that doesn't ne- not necessarily help with running. You know the big thighs. So a lot of the athletes gravitated to our technology. And then I remember I was at a trade show in in Austin towards the end of 2012, and this guy kept calling, and I was like, and Ollie and I at the time we were always sharing a room to save costs, right? Um, and we actually still do it today sometimes, just, <laughs> just for the fun of it. Um, but, you know, I was like, hey, Ollie, you know, we have enough triathletes. And, you know, who's this guy? And, he's, um, and he, he explained me. And I was like, well, he's very uh, persistent. You know, like, how, how do you think he's going to he's gonna do at the World Championships in Hawaii? And he said, well, you know, he, he might. Olivia is always very laid back about these things. So, yeah, he might. He might pull him. I'm like, well, you know, we could give him some shoes for free, but we're not going to pay him, right? And so that's what we did. And sure enough, he he won the World Championship title. So it's a Frederick van Leer, the Belgian guy. Um, you know, these these kind of things. Um, they obviously then, you know, they're 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 very very motivating for for us for the team. But also, they you know, we got a lot of a lot of feedback from athletes. Oh wow, you know, if this guy that you know was injured, you know, could hardly train, and now he comes back, and there must be something there. Um, yeah, so athletes definitely they, they you know they, they're they're very important. But I, th- I feel that the the way to engage with athletes um, has changed because consumers are are aware that athletes are getting paid, and sometimes you have athletes that have the big endorsements and they actually on their own social media they they speak out against their sponsors, right? And, and, and you know, so you want you want to navigate that. And when uh, 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 you know when we first met Roger. Um, he had just come off us of his uh, Nike deal and started to wear our footwear because he wanted to wear you know something else than Nike probably and, and you know we were we were the local brand. Um, but basically, um, you know, it was very clear that we could not afford to sponsor him. So you know, with that out of the way, um, you know, it left. Uh, room for a more authentic solution. So we turn around and say, look, Roger, we cannot pay you, but you can pay us. Do you want to be <laughs> a partner? Um, and do you want to invest in the company and not just 
you know, we're not just going to pay you, you know, endorsement fees and royalties on, on your product, but you're going to be part of the brand. Um, and the more you, time you put in and the more time we, we have fun together, the more will come out of it. And he's been to the office probably between 15 and 20 times a year um, since we started. So, yeah, he's really putting in the, the time. So, and for listeners who don't know, this is Roger Federer, who's a, an investor in on. Yeah, he's a he's a local Swiss tennis player. For those of you that have never heard of him, <laughs> I think most people have probably heard of him. Was that just sort of the the Federer thing happened? It was organic, and you said, "Well, we can't we can't afford you. Why don't you Why don't you invest in us?" Or is that something you've thought about more in terms of ways to vary to make it so that a partnership is and looks authentic? Yes. Well. <clears throat> You know, you can frame it like that, but I mean, it's just about aligning interests. And that's something that, you know, in, as we grew this brand and we were reaching three founders, we, we added two more partners um, not not long after the, the, the start that was still with us. And we always try to align the interests, the long-term interests. Um, um, and it has served us extremely well, um, you know, so that, that uh, you know, we, we can take decisions that go into the same direction. Um, and, and I feel in marketing, you know, that, that leads to authenticity. Um, and, and, uh, and consumers, they, they can tell bullshit from, from what's real. Um, and, and so, you know, with, with us, I mean, you know, you mentioned our numbers. We we're going to break uh, a billion in sales this year. So we're not a small, small company. We're, we're, we're listed at the New York Stock Exchange. But compared to some of the, you know, huge companies out there. I'm not going to name them, but, you know, we're still small and, and a lot of people still discover on and they feel like I was the first one that saw them and they tell their friends and their parents and, 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 and you know, people that don't even want to uh, uh, buy a pair of running shoes. Hey, you absolutely got to buy these. We have these moments and I remember when the first iPhone came out, you know, I was one of those people that told others to get an iPhone. And I've been in, in situations where I was actually in a store I'm helping a customer and somebody that was completely not in the conversation would walk up and say, you have to get these shoes, you know? Um, and that's, that's, that's how, how the brand has, has, has virally and organically uh, grown. Can you talk about how you work with other influencers? I know you have a whole slate of them. They're NCAA, they're professional athletes. Has that changed since you've, you know, since you've become such a major sensation and you've grown so much, or is it generally the same where you align your interests and you make sure that, you know, there's some je ne sais quoi there? Yeah. Well, yeah, in the beginning, it was basically, we can't pay you, but we give you shoes that help you do your job better. Right? Yeah. Um, uh, to, you know, at a certain level, that doesn't fly anymore. And, and we can, of course, now make a difference. And, you know, we, we you know, ha- with Olivier, you know, having been a professional athlete himself, it's not like these track and field athletes, roadrunners or triathletes are making the big bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, these are not your basketball stars. These are not your, you know, 10-year NFL deals. This is not your 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 tennis tennis star, right? So um, we also feel an obligation to help them develop in, in a good way. And unfortunately, the sponsorship model is broken. Um, it's basically a duopoly where, where mm-hmm. two large brands control the market and they play very ugly games at the cost of the athletes. And, and we're trying to change that. And one of the things that, that we do is we we um, offer them contracts that are structured in a different way. 
Um, for example, we have several female athletes. One of them is Nicola Spirik, Olympic gold and silver medalist in triathlon. She's had three babies since, since she's worked with ON. And she's always gotten her full salary. We would never deduct um, an athlete when they're injured or pregnant um, or in, you know, men, you know, mentally in a bad place. So we don't do the, hey, you have to compete that many times. Um, we also feel that to really um, uh, you know, have a, a long-term career, um, you need to have some financial stability. So we're, we're currently actually looking into doing 401ks for our athletes. Wow. where that is possible. Um, and the, the feedback that we get, and, and then, you know, the other thing is a lot of, you know, running, uh, like tennis, uh, they're individual sports. Um, and, and a lot of these athletes are very lonely. The pressure gets to them. And we're, we're trying to build a support system that's more like a family. So in, in North America, we actually uh, started something that's called the On Athletics Club. They're based in Boulder, Colorado. And it's a group of, of athletes that are coming from college and they want to go to the world stage as, as professionals, so Olympics um, or, or what have you, uh, or the big, the, big, uh, the big marathons. And we've built a support system where they live together, they, um, they, they cook together, they have, you know, coach. And all of a sudden you have a dynamic where one of them races, the rest of the group comes and cheers them on. And that's <laughs> unheard of in track and field. They're all like, oh, this guy is stupid, and you know, and this, uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to say, you know, how they call each other, but you know that, you know, it, it's a, it's different atmosphere, and um, and so that's that's what we're trying to do. And and the good thing is, with all these things that we're doing, the the other brands cannot match that. You know, they cannot all of a sudden start giving someone 401ks or or not having deductions or guaranteed paid, um, because they would have to give it to to hundreds of other athletes. And that's how we win some of the best talent at the moment. How about how many athletes do you sponsor right now? A couple hundred. Wow. I mean, in the low, low, low hundreds. But um, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, the hey, look, when you add up all the all the markets that that we play in, um, uh, yeah, and all the sports, it's but it's I mean, it's nowhere near of, of what some of the bigger brands do. And so, are uh, can you can you? I wanted to switch gears because that was. Great, but we're almost out of time. But um, I know that you have uh, sort of n new types of programming, uh, you know, that focus on sustainability and subscription. So, can you give a little bit of background about that? Because I was fascinated, and uh, I just I yes, know, everyone talks absolutely. about subscription these days. Yeah, and everybody talks about sustainability too. And and uh, you know, we 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 built this brand on performance and and innovation first. But then you know, we always had this nagging sense that. You know our our industry, like the the whole fashion industry, is a dirty one. You know, we ninety nine percent of of the products that we sell are made from petroleum. It's plastics. It's basically single use plastic if you think about it that way, right? And we felt we needed to change that. At the same time, you know, we 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 felt that with you know as a premium brand with our you know very strong following and with the means that we now have, we cannot just do little pilot things and say, oh, this is a, this is a prototype of what could be possible. But if we do things, we want to do them at scale. Um, and we have two exciting things that, that we can maybe quickly uh, share. One is the subscription model that you shared. So circularity is a big thing. Um, the problem really in circularity is how do you bring the product back? So 
we uh, not only designed uh, a, sh a shoe that can be uh, ground up and, and, and put into a new shoe, made into a new shoe, but we also um, don't sell it. We only uh, rent it out as a subscription. So basically running as a service, if you can do music and, 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 and movies, why not running? And you pay 30 bucks a month. And if you're done with the shoe in four months, six months, you just uh, let us know. We send you a fresh pair and uh, you return the other one. And, and that has that has resonated extremely well. Like immediately we had like 10,000 people that signed up and we just delivered the first some something like 3,000 or so pairs and, and everybody's raving about them. And it's such a simple model. And as a runner, you're used to that. You always need to have several pairs and you're always exchanging them. And so hopefully we can we can scale that to to tens or hundreds of thousands of pairs. But what we're learning is we're learning to make products that are easier to recycle, and we're also learning um, how to bring product back. And we have a, co a commitment to to the world um, that by the end of the decade we want to bring the majority, vast majority, I'd say ninety percent of our products back. Ideally, to make new product out of them. And then second, we want to be completely fossil-free. So cyclone is actually made from beans that, uh, that grow in, in deserts, uh, uh, organic farming in India in this, in this uh, case that does, don't compete with the food chain. And then we took it one step further and uh, about four, years or five, four or five years ago, I was made aware that um, there are some fuels out there. Um, so jet fuel, for example, or gasoline that is made from captured carbon from the air. And I was like, wow, that's wild, you know. But then I was like, well, if you can make fuel, you can also make plastics. It's the same thing. And so we started a, a pretty long research project, uh, which is now coming to fruition. And we've managed to um, capture carbon, not in the air, but at an exhaust pipe of a steel factory in Belgium. And we turned that into footwear. Um, so rather than bringing oil out of the ground and making a product that, you know, is going to pollute, we're actually removing carbon. Um, and once we get that into a circular mode, we you know, we're using what we learned from Cyclone, we're going to be carbon negative. And, and, you know, so, and, you know, the, to, 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 to give, uh, maybe a little bit perspective. So this, this first pair of, of, of shoes made from, from carbon emissions is, is, is a couple million dollars um to make um but now we're 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 looking to scale this to ideally millions of pairs and the foam the technology is very scalable and there's quite some investment now going into that and hopefully we can offer this at almost the same price as a regular on product um over over the next year so so these are the things that get me as excited as as I was uh, 12 years ago when we started on um, it's almost like a new new startup and a whole whole new way of thinking, and bringing then the retailers into this with you know as a back channel, they also love to sell subscriptions. They don't have to hold stock and so on. Uh, all opens up many many new doors. I want yeah I wanted to ask about both those things, and I can ask the same question for both, which is do you foresee for both of those the cyclone and the the recaptured um, carbon. For, do you want that for all of your pairs or do you see that as only for there is the bean pair of shoes that you subscribe to and there's the sustainable pair of shoes that, you know, comes from the factory? Yeah, it's it's too soon to tell. Look, the our industry and the consumers are so well oiled, uh, pun intended, to just 
shoot products out to consumers that you then, you know, end up in a landfill or that are incinerated. Um, it's 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 a learning process. Whether the subscription is 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 the holy grail that solves everything, we don't know. But just to 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 think more about, and I mean, imagine we now have a couple thousand people that tell us when they need a fresh pair of running shoes. I mean, think about how golden magic that moment is. That you know, we can we can help them. We can say, well, did you like the product? Do you want the same again? Do you want something else? Um, versus we don't know, and they just go and buy, a, you know, God forbid, for another brand. Um, so you know, so so there's there are many. You know, this is not just good for the planet. We feel this is going to be good for business as well. And have you already talked to retailers about like incorporating the cyclone into their into their yes, stores? Yes, we actually like- have, and, and this. This is what makes me um, very, very optimistic about uh, circularity. When we announced Cyclone, the the first two calls I got were from actually uh, very strong retailers. And one of them was REI, um, that are obviously very ahead of the curve on on sustainability. And and we're bringing this to REI. Wow. Um, We're just about out of time, but I always try to ask people at the end, uh, just what are what are your big plans for this year? Do you have any three goals that you want on to do? Uh, yeah, what are you thinking about? We're at, on a on a very very strong growth trajectory, um, and and so it's about uh, not 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 moving too fast, and and mm-hmm. and uh, and and really working with those channels, those consumers that have supported us along the way. So so um, you know doing doing more with less is a little bit one one of the things. Then uh, um, you know we were we we're very ambitious for being out of Switzerland. We want to be the number one on this feet, and and we have made tremendous uh, progress. And one of the things that we spoke about quickly is how athletes are now um, um, you know have found find a really good environment for for their progress. And we wanted to win some medals at the Paris Olympics in twenty twenty four, but already now in Eugene um, at the Worlds and also at the Commonwealth Games. We won the first medal, so so that's very encouraging, and, uh, and we want to do more of that. Um, definitely that, and then uh, I personally, I also have a goal for myself. We're going to take a, a little bit of a breather, and uh, and go uh, travel uh, the South Pacific and surf with the family oh, wow. uh, for a couple of weeks, and and just get you know uh, read a lot of interesting books uh, on the on the beach, and get inspiration for the next chapter ahead. All right. Well, Casper, this has been a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining. (laughs) Thank you, Gail. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and head to Apple Podcasts to leave us a review and a rating. See you next week.